Welcome to Grandma Magic, a podcast from the Grandmother Collective. We are a nonprofit organization that supports and advocates for a world where a grandmother's power is seen, cultivated, and activated for positive change. The Grandma Magic podcast is an opportunity to learn more about the unique positions that grandmothers, aunties, and other older women around the world can play in advancing positive social development by talking to and learning from grandmother changemakers. We hope this series inspires you, brings you joy, and helps you recognize the enduring magic and wisdom that comes from grandmothers everywhere. My name is Lindsay Farrell, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Rochelle Jackson. When we first met Rochelle, she was called the mayor of North Lawndale, the neighborhood on the west side of Chicago that she has called home her whole life. Rochelle has worked for JPA, the Juvenile Protection Association, for 33 years. JPA is a Chicago institution that for 120 years has worked to support vulnerable children across the city. Rochelle is active in a number of local initiatives and causes and knows everyone. She's also the lead of JPA's new experiment in grandmother-led programming and recruited and brought together older women in the community to support young girls in two of the Chicago public schools where JPA works. We're excited to hear from her today about the work she's done and learn about the ups and downs of this work. Hi, Rochelle. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us today. So, you know, one of the things that we really love to to explore with our interviewees is to really understand their own foundations of maybe an older woman figure or a grandmother figure that they had in their life. Do you have someone like that in your past? I had two grandmothers, but I did not have the opportunity to be around them all the time because they lived out of state. One was in California and the other one was in Mississippi. So I saw my maternal grandmother maybe three times in my life, but I talked to her on the phone over the years Mm -hmm. until she passed away. My paternal grandmother would travel to a small town 60 miles south of Chicago called Kankakee, where her youngest daughter lived. So whenever she would visit, we would have to go there, which was fun. It was a fun place back then to be at. I used to stay for weeks at a time in the summer. As long as she was there, I would be there. And then after she would leave, my aunt would be like, you don't have to leave, you can stay. So (laughs) it's one of those things. So I think my aunt was more of an influence for me than my grandmother. My father's younger sister, she's such a sweetheart. And all of my relatives tell me I take after her. I'm just like her. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know. What are the qualities of your aunt that you take after? Her calmness about situations. And she can always talk to you if you're upset about something. She can always calm you down. And my friends tell me that I do that to other people. So I don't know how it happens. It just happens I guess it's magic. I don't know. Because <laughs> it's kind of hard to calm people down when they're, you know, having a tough time. And I guess I find the words to comfort them, to make them think it's going to be okay. Well, I'm sure your aunt would be delighted to know that that's something you think you might have gotten from her. Yeah. All right, Rochelle, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and kind of how your career has evolved over the years? So I was born and raised in North Lawndale, as you mentioned earlier. I had a few jobs. I started off, you know, as a tutor, as a teenager. 
because I wanted to make sure that children younger than me could read and at least print their name before they made it to the second grade, because that was a hard thing. As I got older, I was always influenced by other people to always do the right thing. No matter what the situation is, just do the right thing. And it'll be a pay forward kind of thing. I mean, nobody knew about paying it forward back then, but it seemed to kind of stick. As I got older, I would just join forces with people who had positive thinking about what life should be like, how the community should be with all the things that was going on around us. The riots on the west side and south sides of Chicago after the assassination of Martin Luther King, that stuck with me my entire life. I mean, I still think about it and how we have for years trying to rebuild our community through the ashes of that. And it's taken us a long time, but we finally, at this point, have people who realize how disinvested our community has been because of certain things that happened in the past. And so it's one of those things where I would team up with people, thanks to my brother, who's no longer here. We had one woman who was running for alderman and he called me one day and he said, you know, I need you to meet this lady. Her name is Valerie Leonard. He lived a block from her and he was like, I need you to meet her. She's running for alderman and she's very smart and I need you to connect with her. And I was like, well, why? He's like, because you're a politician. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, I'm not. He's like, but you think like one and she needs some help and maybe you can help her. So I was like, okay, do whatever. But after talking to him a couple of times, it was like, okay, I'll meet her some kind of way. How do I meet her? He's like, well, she's going to be doing this community session and you need to go. So I went, I met her and we talked and she was telling me about the different initiatives that she was involved in and how she was looking to find a way to improve our community. And that sounded good to me. And I was like, okay, I can join. Prior to that though, before meeting her, it was a few years prior, maybe 10, 20, that I was involved in saving public transportation in our community. So I was always advocating for routes that were being eliminated or disconnected from us to get them back. But we didn't have anybody who was willing to listen. And when I met her, she was all for that because Mm -hmm. she started talking about how our community has suffered for so many years with redlining going on and discrimination and all those other things we need to work on, not just housing, but transportation, economic development, all those different things in the neighborhood. So she was all for that. And that was her reason for running for Alderman. And so she didn't win, but she still kept pushing. And so I was riding on her back, whatever I could learn from her. Things I already knew, I added on to what she was teaching me. She didn't feel like she was teaching me anything, but she taught me a lot. And still Mm -hmm. to this day, every once in a while, we're still in communication and I'm still learning from her. She has her own podcast, her own nonprofit organization where she teaches people how to build capacity for creating a nonprofit organization Mm -hmm. and how to run one. I mean, she's a brilliant woman. So I'm going to always follow her because she's been my biggest influence. 
and it's been a journey. It's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of naysayers and all of the negative people that come about to say you're creating gentrification in the neighborhood and you shouldn't be doing this or that. Like anti-development people, folks that don't want things to change? Yeah, we have a lot of those people, but change is better for everybody around. Some gentrification is going to happen no matter what neighborhood you're in. It just happens that way. I don't know why. I don't know if anybody's done research on it. but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they have. Rochelle, for people who don't know the Chicago landscape and what most of the United States hears about is gun violence and gangs and criminality, what has happened over your lifetime in the neighborhood in which you live? Because I know when we chatted nine months ago or something when I was visiting you all in Chicago, there was a sense amongst the women in the grandmother program that you're working on that there had been a time when North Lawndale was more cohesive and more connected. Can you speak a little bit about that? That was in the 60s and 70s, you know, even after the riots, there were still people who would come together and help people, even the gangs. Some of the gangs, they founded some initiatives where they were helping people who needed groceries and other resources. So they weren't just gangs that were out fighting and killing people. They were gangs who had resources to help people with jobs, food, housing, clothing. They were there because they were getting funding from the city. But there was some issue, from what I understand, some issue with, at the time, the mayor. They didn't like what they were doing because they were no longer killing people. I don't know. Yeah, but that's maybe one of the explanations that gets put out. Yeah, there was a time when people, we were neighbors, we stuck together. Everybody helped each other out, no matter what. My father was one of those people who would feed people if they said they were hungry. He would send them to our house and my mother would get pissed off, but she would feed them. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't come with them. They would just show up at the door. They would show up at the door. (laughs) And so, you know, my mother baked a lot of pies. So we always had these aluminum pie pans. She told us to never throw them away and we couldn't figure out why not. She would always put their food in a pie pan, give them enough for two meals and wrap it up and give it to them. It was nine of us in the house, but we always had leftovers. And so they were always able to feed people. That was a big thing with my dad because he had a big family and he never talked about if they ever went without food, but he always made sure that we didn't. And he just wanted to feed everybody. So you, even from a very young age, you were involved in a community of mutual aid and connection and caring. What does it look like today? Today, the community, because of the community organization that was developed by Valerie Leonard, we recruited a lot of people to join that council. I'm one of those people. They created committees for people to join and take charge of. And we've gotten a lot of stakeholders involved. And so people are funding different things in the community. We now have several family entertainment sit-down restaurants Mm -hmm. that we had not had in years, maybe 50, 60 years. And so that's a big change. We have an employment network organization that helps people who have been in prison come back home to get the training that they need to get jobs 
they've employed a lot of people and put them on a path to be in a position where they can take care of their families and mm-hmm. they've been able to stay out of trouble. We have an education committee that's been working on better public education for the community. We're in the process of turning a couple of schools into STEAM academies where the kids who are in our community will be able to go to those schools and learn the things that other kids are learning who live in influential neighborhoods. It's been a lot. The transportation part that I had, we've been able to get a bus route returned to our side of the community, whereas before it was cut off and it cut us off in a way where people would have to go two and a half extra miles out of the way to get back to the route that they needed to get to in order to get to work. It's a lot of economic development going on. So it's a lot. We have a lot of community events where people before didn't know what organizations were in the community. Now they know where things are, how they can get to resources. It's been one of those enriching kinds of things. It's one of those things where my father used to tell me, if you can do something for free and you enjoy it, that's where you need to be. And so here I am. So what are all the official titles that you hold within your community? (laughs) And maybe the unofficial titles. My friends call me the mayor of North Lawndale. Yes. This is how we were introduced to you, Rochelle. Some of my friends have been trying to get me to run for alderman. I don't want that job. That's a thankless job. And it's a hard job. And I could never have that job. One title that I'm very proud to hold is chairperson of the transportation committee for the council that I'm on because I've been able to bridge a gap between community mobility. I'm not an avid bike rider, but that seems to be the new thing all across the city. And so in our community, it wasn't a big thing. We didn't have people riding bikes and they wanted to build bike lanes in our neighborhood. And, you know, my fight was straddling the fence about bike lanes on some streets and not on others. And so that's always been a clash of the titans kind of thing (laughs) between the community and the city. It's kind of working a little bit now, now that people understand it. And we have this one organization that I absolutely love called Boxing Out Negativity. It's headed by this guy named Derek. He is such an amazing young man who has used his own personal finances to get young kids off the street into something that's positive. So he teaches the kids how to box. He teaches discipline, helping them to change their anger into a positive thing. And he puts on these events twice a year. He calls them the Love Street Rides, where he invites everybody from all over the city to just join in and do a bike ride like nine miles throughout the west side of Chicago. And this is the third year that we're doing it and it's been absolutely amazing. So he's been able to bring stakeholders together, bridging the negative gap between residents and the police. So that's been a big help. So I'm all in his organization as far as helping them out whenever they're planning their events or We trade resources with each other to help the kids with clothes, food, whatever they need. It's just an amazing thing. There's so many organizations now that we collaborate with each other. We're like feeding off of each other and 
helping with the resources. If one doesn't have it, the other one does. And we're just finally joining forces because at one time everybody was in their own little thing. And now we all realize we have to work together in order to make the community better. Yeah. What often happens is you end up in competition when you all have the same mission. And at first that's kind of how it was because there were so many people throwing money out there, you know, with grants for your, whatever your mission was and everybody was competing for the grants. And I had a talk with several organizations saying, you know, there's enough bread to feed everybody. So what one foundation can't do for you, they can do for somebody else. Whatever their mission is for philanthropy, you have to go with that. If that's not your mission, find another foundation that can help you. So it was one of those things, but now everybody seems to get it. You know, they're finally getting it after several years of doing it. Yeah. So when did the shift start happening? When did Valerie run for office? My sense is that in many of the big cities in the United States, including the one I'm in in Philadelphia, the 90s were a particularly rough period of time. And then maybe in the mid 2000s into now, the shift towards rebuilding communities and focusing on community connection has happened more recently. And there's been more funding in that sense. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say early 2000s, you know, she collaborated with different organizations to develop a vision for our community. And they started working together and then they ventured off. Everybody was doing their own thing. We call them clicks. Everybody had their own click. Human nature being what it is. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So everybody split up and went their own different way, but she was determined to bring a group of people together because she had connections with the city of Chicago and with organizations like CMAP and LISC and Department of Transportation, Department of Housing. She had all those different connections where she could bring those people together and foundations stepped in, other organizations like People's Gas, Comet, those big, huge corporations started to take notice and learn the history of our community, you know, and once they found out what richness there was here and how we were the owners of the first Sears Tower, because Sears at the time was one of those big department catalog stores. And they wanted to save that history. It started from there. I mean, even one of the buildings that they call it the powerhouse, that particular building had the power for this whole Sears thing. Because Sears, the catalog distribution store, warehouse, everything on the West Side was about a mile long in radius. It was huge. And it, back in the day, it employed over 40,000 people. So this was a prosperous community. Oh, yeah. When we moved, my parents moved here in the early mid-50s. So it was a Jewish community before we came. And when the Black people started moving in, then we had the white flight. But a lot of people stayed behind. And we all got along. Nobody was fighting each other. It was just a community that wanted to love on each other. I think what we know is that that's the actual status quo, that mm -hmm. humans want to connect, love on yeah. each other and support yeah. each other. And then we get sort of torn apart by stupidity. <laughs> Thanks. 
That's a good word. I'm glad you used that. So I didn't have to say it. But yes, stupidity. Rochelle, I want to talk a bit about, you know, because one of the things we're really thinking a lot about at the Grandmother Collective is the wisdom and experience of older women, specifically, that we do like men, of older people, and the role that they can play in mentorship and the revitalization of community pride and some of these things that really seem to be lacking in modern society, especially after COVID and some of the challenges we've seen with our socioeconomic issues. So I know North Lawndale is very young. This is something we talked about when we first started chatting with you and that you are really seeing young people raising young people and that that continuity that comes from multi-generational interaction can be a challenge because of that. I wonder if you can speak a little bit, and maybe this is where you can talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing this last year and kind of experimenting with grandma mentorship about that. Like, what are some of the challenges that are really part of this? One of the challenges that we've seen is young girls wanting to belong, but don't know how without conflict. We've been paying attention to their attitudes and how they connect or disconnect with each other. They seem to want to be in competition. And we're trying to teach them that you don't have to compete with other people to belong. Everybody has a space. And so one of the things we always talk about is respecting each other's space and letting people hold their own communication where as if they have something to talk about don't interrupt it and make it your story because that's their story. And even if you know a little bit about their story, let them tell their own story. And we've noticed it's been hard for the girls to just hold on to that thought because they always want to jump in and interrupt somebody else's story. Oh, and say like, that's not the way it is or... Yeah, or elaborate a little bit more, you know, and that person that's telling their story may not want all of the story to be out just a little bit enough where she could get some advice on how to deal with it. And we've had those questions from the girls. How do you deal with this? Or how should I formulate my questions to people when I want to ask them things without them getting upset? Because they are aware that people have triggers. They just don't know how to express it as a trigger. You're working right now mainly with sixth grade girls, right? With sixth, sixth grade. grade. Yeah. Is this just a challenge of preteens or do you have a hypothesis of why this might be happening within this school community? Two words, social media. Okay. <laughs> They're influenced by all of these negative things that they see on social media, on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and They think that this is the way of the world and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to look. And we're trying to tell them to be your own person. Don't worry about how people see you. You worry about how you see you because at the end of the day, nobody else's opinion matters except your own of how you are, how you look, how you feel. Because you have to live with yourself. Nobody else does. And if you're finding an image that's unlikened to you, where everybody's asking you, why are you acting this way? There's a way that you can change that by not being influenced by social media. What comes out of some of that is bullying and 
We did talk a lot about bullying with the girls because they had some of that going on and they were trying to use their conflict resolutions that they've learned from us and from their teachers. It's been hard for some of them, but they're really working on it and they actually get it because last week we did a survey with the girls asking them how impactful this project was for them. All of them really liked it, but the majority of them said they didn't like the conflicts. <laughs> so if they could do without the fussing at each other, it would be a great program. They love the activities that we did. They love the discussions that we had. They like talking about the history of the community. Of course, you know, I do that with everybody I meet. I tell them about the community because I want young people to learn where they came from and how important it is for them to understand the importance of community because somewhere down the line, you're going to need your community for something. Certainly. And do you think that this guidance or advice or information coming from dedicated older women in the community hits differently than if it's a teacher or a parent or a peer? I think so, because they feel more open to telling us a little bit about what they're going through. And they have mentioned that they can't talk to their parents all the time because the parent might tell an auntie or an uncle and then it gets through the family and everybody's talking about it and they don't want to hear about it. They just want to talk about it and have a solution and move on to the next thing because we have given them a safe space. They know that we don't know anybody that they know and we're not gonna repeat anything that they've told us. But even if you were a grandmother in their family, you might also not tell anyone, right? I think that what we're finding that that role is often as confidant. Yeah. Within or without families that you guys are playing the role right now of surrogate grandmothers. And some of you are grandmothers. You are not, right, Rochelle? I'm not a grandmother, but I am an auntie and a great auntie. And I have a lot of secrets that I- <laughs> You're holding shared. lots of secrets? I'm holding lots of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that we really believe that, you know, a woman, as she gets older, she becomes so trusted. You're holding lots yeah. of secrets. That's hilarious. One of my nieces is always trying to get me to tell stuff. I was like, nope, I'm not telling you anything. They told me and I'm taking it to the grave. <laughs> Just like I'm taking yours to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, obviously you've been a change maker, somebody dedicated to mission for most of your life. What do you think has changed for you in that as you've aged? Do you think differently about the impacts that you can make on the world? Earlier on, 30 years ago, I would have never dreamed that people would talk about me in rooms that I'm not even in. I never thought that would happen because I'm one of those people that if I'm on a mission, I'm there to do the work and then I want to leave. I, I don't need the photo ops or anything like that. I always tell people I'm the background singer. Let me do the work and then I'm going to move on and do something else. People don't need to know who I am. They don't even need to know my name. Just know that whatever we needed in this community, I'm going to work my butt off to get it done. Once it's done, I'm going to share with everybody and say, you need to do this because we worked hard to get this done for you. It's for the community. So use it 
because if you don't use it, we're going to lose it. And then I'm moving on to the next thing. But everywhere I go, people want to take pictures with me. And I'm like, I don't even like to take pictures. <laughs> I don't need the photo. You truly are a politician, Rochelle. <laughs> I know. I play a very good politician. I'm not one, but I can play one on TV. Yeah. That's okay. what I always tell people. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to do the work. I want to be a servant to the community and do the work and move on to the next thing. And my passion has been to always make sure that people are taken care of. And if they need something from me, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. And if I can't, I'll let them know I'm not going to be able to do that. Because I don't want people to depend on me and then I let them down. I've always been that person. I am that person. I'm probably going to die being that person. Do you think you're more idealistic or less idealistic than you were at the beginning of this change-making journey? I will say more because I still have hope for the future. That people are going to get better if they just take the time to pay attention to their own surroundings, listen to hear, and not to react Because that's a lot of what causes conflicts is people listening to react to what they hear instead of just listening to hear it and do something about it. Because not every action needs a response, a verbal response. You just do it or walk away. Yeah. So you've been at JPA for 33 years. And I understand you're retiring at the end of June. Yes. What have been your major achievements? I mean, 33 years (laughs) That's such an incredible amount of time to spend in an organization. What are you most proud of? The fact that when people come step through those doors, that most of the time I'm there to greet them and make them feel comfortable because there have been programs that we have had where people were on the verge of losing their children. And I'm the first person that greets them and they're walking in the door angry pissed off, crying, and I'm the one that they see. I offer them coffee or tea or hot chocolate does the trick every time. (laughs) And I calm them down and I let them know, we're not here to take your children away. We're here to help you get them back. And so if you do what you need to do to better yourself, then we can help you make that possible. It didn't always happen because a lot of the people that we saw had severe mental issues where it was never going to be possible for them to get their kids back, but they would always be able to have visitation rights. But that program didn't last long because of the funding. It was a government-funded program. And so when the money runs out, the program disappears. And that happened a lot during that time. I also participated on a 20-year longitudinal study where I met women when they had their kids at infancy, and we work with those children up until the age of 18. So recently, I posted a thing on Facebook. JPA had our annual fundraising gala, and I took a picture and posted it on Facebook and told everybody this was my last JPA gala. I'm retiring soon. And so I got a lot of comments from people who participated in that study telling me what an impact I had on their life. And man, I was in tears. I was like, that's not why I posted this picture. I wasn't expected to cry while I'm reading all these comments. But it made me realize that I did touch a lot of people. I impacted their life in a good way because all of those kids 
who participated in that study, they came out doing some amazing things. They have their own children now and they're doing great things. Their parents are doing great things. So the study started out as one thing, but it helped these families to do better in life. And so I don't even know what to say about that, (laughs) except that I'm glad I was able to be in that space to help them get through the challenges of everyday stressors of life, because that's pretty much what they were going through. I mean, I had my own stressors, but I couldn't let my stressors affect them. So when I went to work, my home life was put to the side so I could help other people. And then after work, I would come home and deal with my own stressors. But, you know, at that time, in my mind, I didn't have the resources for the help that I needed. But I could have tapped into the resources. I just didn't feel like that was my space to do that. I managed to get through it in other ways. But the impact that I see that I had on those lives, and especially the kids, because they would call me every once in a while to tell me if it had not been for you. And then they would tell their story. And of course, that would make me cry too. (laughs) It sounds like the impact you made was in your presence and your humanity and your empathy more than anything else. In this calmness that you get from your aunt and the ability to calm people. Yeah. And also from my dad, because my father, he was really funny. When I was growing up, my mother would just argue with him about certain things. And he would just look at her and he would shake his head and he would get up put on his jacket and put on his hat and just go outside. And as I got older, I would do that to people and it would piss them off. So I was like, oh, that's how that works. Okay, (laughs) that's what I'm going to do. You don't have to respond. Just walk away and they'll stop talking to you. And so I think what I'm learning from you, Rochelle, although maybe I already knew it from you, is that the small things add up. The little actions, the little gestures, the little connections that we make, they add up. And now you're reflecting and you can see just how exponential that impact was. Yeah, because I know over the years, just sitting at the bus stop and holding a conversation with people, you can save a life like that. I once at a bus stop talking to somebody and that person told me I cheered them up. I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but they told me that I made them feel better and thanks so much for talking to me. And they even hugged me. Of course, I always react to a hug. I, I hug back and I do mama bear hugs. I've always been like that. So <laughs> so what are you going to do next? Obviously, you're not retiring from your community. No, that's going to be until I die kind of thing. I do a free crochet class twice a week on Thursdays at the local library and on Saturdays at the park. That's a few blocks mm-hmm. from where I live. So I'm going to continue to do that for free as long as, you know, I can keep up with the supplies and people want to continue to do it. I'll still do that. I'm going to always be volunteering in the community with the events where people call me and need me. I'm in charge of my high school reunion committee. So I'm planning the annual 34th annual picnic this year. I did it last year, too, because all the other committee members are up in their 70s and they are kind of sickly. So I don't really have a lot of help now. And I've been trying to get them to help me to recruit new people, but they are not even wanting to meet. So it's like, okay, I got to do what I got to do because people are looking forward to this picnic. So they come from all over the United States once a year for this reunion. So last year was my first time doing it 
pretty much by myself with the help of two classmates. And they said it was one of the best picnics that they had ever been to. Because I did a karaoke thing. I had somebody to come on with a karaoke machine. And there's so much talent at our school that everybody sounded like the original singer who ever sang that song. So it was a lot of fun. And they wanted to do it again this year. So we're going to do it again. You created a new tradition, as grandmothers do. Yeah, and I'll be still working with the city on infrastructure and transportation because I want to make sure that the entire city of Chicago gets what it needs for better infrastructure because one neighborhood shouldn't have all the bells and whistles and the rest of us have potholes. We should all get the same thing that downtown gets. And that's my mission. And not just for my side of town, but for the entire city and even far south where they hardly ever get any resources. I'm advocating for them as well. So yeah, I'll continue to work until I can't do it anymore. You'll stay busy. Yeah, I'll stay busy. And most of that work is free. I'm still a volunteer. I don't get paid for all of that stuff, but I'll still do it. And I'm sure in a couple of years we'll reconnect and you'll be telling me about some new project you started. So yeah, I, <laughs> once you get the bug for change making, it's pretty hard to quit. It is. I'm always looking out for other people and people call me all the time or send me messages about finding different resources still. So I'm going to always be the resource connector for my community. So that'll never change. Awesome, Rochelle. It has been delightful to dig into your past a bit more and to learn what you've been doing to make a difference. I feel very optimistic after speaking with you today. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. 